This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Hi guys and welcome back to A Millennial Mind. Today I'm so excited to introduce you all to the CEO and co-founder of Flare Impact, Lee Cleland. So hi Lee. Hey Chip, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. So excited for this. Thanks so, so much. I know. It's so weird because I guess people don't know this, but we all we went to university together. So it's just weird to now be doing a podcast with you, I feel. I know. Friends I know. At uni, and now to be sitting down and actually talking about something is quite exciting, really. I know. I can completely agree. I'm, I'm so happy you reached out for this. Gonna yeah, no, I've been, well, we actually connected again through lockdown mm-hmm. and you were telling me all the amazing things you were doing. And then when I was thinking about the season, I really wanted to talk to you because I love what you've done with Flower and how you've pivoted. And we'll talk about that all. I won't give it all away. But um, for people who don't know you and your background, just tell me a little bit about, you know, what you did after uni. Yeah, so Shiv and I went to Warwick together. After that, I went into banking, as did like half of our university, and um, did it for a couple of years. Um, Had to leave for a couple of reasons related to like health, and I never really wanted to do it long term anyway. Um, And then ended up studying about how to be an entrepreneur um, at UCL. And through that, uh, ended up working on a startup and bringing my cousin on the journey with me. Um, mm-hmm. That was around 2017. So you say you studied about being an entrepreneur. What does that mean? I'm sure everyone listening and watching to this is like, tell me more. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, really, really good question. So there's this course at UCL uh, called Tech Entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. the aim of it is to come up with a startup idea. Okay. Um, a lot of people kind of do the course because they think it's a good thing to do to learn about how to to build a startup with the view to kind of go and do it uh, later down the line. But mm-hmm. I went in with the mentality of by the end of this year, I need to have created a startup. Um, so 
I didn't do too much of the going to lecture side of things more. It was more just, okay, I want to surround myself with an environment, which is all about building a startup. And that will get wow. me into the mindset of actually building my own thing. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, within a couple of months of starting, I had found myself with an idea that I wanted to really work on, uh, which it, yeah, was, it was kind of everything that I wanted to achieve out of the course in like the first two months. So yeah, it Love that. I feel like your environment, the people you surround yourself with are like key. I think that's like my biggest learning so far is that it's so important who you connect with and the people that you're working with and your friends and your family and all these subconscious, subconscious thoughts that are going in your head. Right. 100%. So when you say within two months, you thought of an idea, take me through that process. Cause I think, you know, this is startup season. One of the things that, people watching and listening to this are going to be doing is thinking either I have an idea and I need to be feel more inspired to get, get along with my journey or you know some people may be thinking I just have no idea how to start a business or how to think of an idea like what are some of the things that you did that yeah. helped you think of this idea yeah so I always say there's kind of two ways to approach it you can either think about what are your own problems so mm -hmm. something that I do each and every day is anything that annoys me I'll write down in like notes and I've just got mm -hmm. like a long list of things that I find annoying <laughs> that one day, let's say after flare, <laughs> I might go and try solve. Right. And I love that. I, lo I love that so much because I, I do the same, but like sometimes mine are like not obviously related to products. It's just like, this just irritates me in life. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, yeah. And then the second thing is that I always kind of put, anything that comes to mind through this three-step process which is okay. um is this something i'm passionate about is this something that i will be relatively good at solving mm -hmm. and is this big enough so like is right. the problem big enough like on a global scale to create let's mm -hmm. say a business i can work on for 10 years wow. and whenever i think of an idea that doesn't fit those three criteria Mm -hmm. I'm most likely not going to pursue it because like passion is so key. I want to be good at what I do. And then also right. I want to create something big, which can have a huge impact where there's ideally a financial return at the end for, for myself. I love that. So passion, strength, and then I guess scalability as well. Those are the kind of three components you look at, which I think are really important because obviously that quote by Steve Jobs, mm -hmm when he's like, you know, people always ask you why, you, how you can do it. And it's like, if you're not passionate about it, you just, you physically won't be able to, because you have to be like a psychopath exactly. to, 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 to be in this thing. Right. So I think those three things are really great and really amazing. How do you actually start to note down what are your strengths? Cause I think that's something that people struggle with, right? We can all at the tip of our tongue, say what our weaknesses are. I mean, I could tell you like for 500 things right now, but actually if someone says like, what are your strengths? How do you find what your strengths are? Maybe I'm just like more arrogant than the average person, <laughs> but like, I feel like I know what my, I know what my weaknesses are, but I, I know what my strengths are as well. But I think listening to what other people say about you is, um, is a good starting point. Right. Um, because uh, uh, like it's usually easy to identify other people's strengths. So if other people are pointing something about you, it's probably a mm -hmm. good sign. Um, 
also I think naturally we tend to enjoy things that we are better at. So thinking about what you enjoy doing is probably a good a good starting point as well. Mm -hmm. uh, thinking about what your strengths are. Um, and just being honest with yourself, like there's no need to be kind of hard on oneself for no reason. Like, yeah, I think that self-awareness of knowing what your strengths are is a really important skill to, to try and hone. I completely agree. And, you know, when I created the performance panel, it was basically for entrepreneurs. It's for people who want are managing different things. It's for people who are leaders in organizations and something in there every day is what did I enjoy or what am I good at? and what could I have done better so you're actually focusing on your strengths every day you're reflecting each day and that's something I put into practice and I've been doing for years is yeah. actually it's not necessarily like what's my strength for today it's like what did I like what was I good at what did I enjoy learning about you know what's something that stuck out for me and I think that's really important for people who are at university or at school even because generally I always get this question from people that's like what should I choose for my A-levels right what should I do at university? And often we just do do a degree. Like I just did a law degree because, you know, I was good at arguing and an argumentative child. So my parents told me to do it and I hated it. And if I moan to you, I'll worry, but I just hated it so much. And then as I got older, I started to realize some of the things that I was interested in. And so then when I, I went back to work and I did the applied management course, that was something that I really loved and I enjoyed and I loved reading about it. And I would spend, I still spent hours reading about that stuff. Um, because I realized that I was good at it, right? And so naturally, I think it's so important from a young age to really hone in on that and to mm. identify your strengths and weaknesses. Because ultimately, if you focus on your strengths, they're only gonna get stronger. Whilst if you're constantly focusing on your weaknesses, it's not always the best solution. 100%, I couldn't agree more. Like when we, when we employ people, I always tell them to like specialize on what you're good at. There's no point, yeah. after a while, there's no point trying to improve, like, to spend too much time trying to improve on your weaknesses 100 uh, yeah we all, we all have our own different strengths and i think the biggest thing in in leading an organization as well is to focus on strengths-based leadership right so mm -hmm. you have a team they're all good at individual things focus mm -hmm. on that tell them okay. to lean, each, lean to each other on that tell them to ask each other for help in the things that they're good at and i think mm -hmm. as a leader if you're not emphasizing the strengths of your team the team themselves aren't going to feel that they're important and the other and the other team members are going to feel like they have to be good at everything because there's not that one person that they can go to. So tell me, tell us, tell me a little bit about Flair and how it all started. Okay, so there's two kind of uh, there's two kind of versions of Flair. So there's Flair Football and then right. there's Flair Impact. So Flair Football came first. Um, that was the idea that I came up with with my cousin in UCL. Um, it stemmed out of the fact that we looked around um, the football industry and realized that there was such an emphasis on the professional mm -hmm. and very, very little spotlight on the kind of everyday amateur young football player. And looking back at our own lives, that was so important for us as a, ch as a child. Football, it was like our day-to-day -day involved playing and it was, it was everything. Um, and we just felt it was sad that looking back at our own lives there was just no record of of that period of of our lives when we were playing football and right. um, so we wanted to build a way for the everyday young football player to store as well as share their kind of football journey um and we came up with the mission of 
making every young football player feel like a pro. Right. Um, and through that, we ended up with the idea of building a social network for kids who play football. Um, it let them kind of share match reports, mm-hmm. automatically track their stats, um, let them connect with their teammates and praise them for their performances. Right. Um, and we did that for like three years. Mm-hmm. Um, grew it to about 25,000 users wow. in UK and Ireland. And yeah, it was it was a real learning experience. Um, had to employ loads of people, um, fundraise. And it was tough, like building a consumer app is incredibly right. challenging. Um, and ultimately it was the pandemic that did, like ended that business because right. people couldn't play football. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we decided that we were gonna work on something completely different and Flare Impact was born. How did you navigate that throughout the pandemic? I mean, your business just overnight stopped. Yeah, it was it was it was pure survival. Survival instincts kicked in. Um, we didn't want to quit. We had mm-hmm. investors who we felt a duty to make sure that they didn't get like a complete loss. Um, mm-hmm. We had team members as well who we didn't want to uh, like let go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of needs must. Um, and we went into an intense period of just thinking of what else we could work on. And that's when George Floyd was murdered. Mm. Um, and we noticed that all these organizations were coming out with like commitments around building anti-racist cultures. Mm-hmm. There didn't seem to be much data that was driving those commitments. Um, right. So they were kind of saying, we're going to do this, this and this. But how are they going to measure progress? And we just felt that there was an opportunity there to, to build something around that. Um, and yeah, that that was kind of the genesis of the pivot. I find it so interesting. Obviously, I know your story, so I'm trying not to, to put my kind of opinion on it straight away. But, you know, I find it so interesting how you just pivoted from flat football to flat impact kind of overnight. I know it wasn't overnight because I remember you had a fundraiser, right? Mm. Um, how did you think about doing something like that? I mean, racism is such a complex issue and actually something that I think is really hard to truly track and understand mm. because I think people say one thing and the way they act is completely different. So exactly yeah. what you just said is when George Floyd was murdered, everyone was posting black squares on their story. Everyone was talking about how they're gonna change and make a difference. Mm. And yet three months later, we're, we're back in the same position as we are, you know, mm. nothing has really changed. So how did you think of an idea that you thought, actually, we can track this, we can monitor this and we can really make a change? Yeah, so I think, um, firstly, we had to work out like, what were the problems that people were having that we wanted to measure? Um, and then think about what's the best way to measure them. So um, we did loads of research, first-hand research, interviewing like people across loads of different industries, our friends, um, young people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of realized that there were a few commonalities in terms of the challenges that people were facing. Um, and then we had to think, okay, how do you measure each of those challenges? So something like um, people kept saying that they didn't feel comfortable in 
kind of challenging racism when they when they um, saw it. Mm. Um, and we thought, okay, what's the best way of measuring that behavior? Um, and we landed on like situational judgment because wow. that had been used in other industries. And then we asked about like, we realized that people were one of the problems that they were facing was just like a lack of racial diversity in their organizations. Mm -hmm. So looking at racial diversity, a lot of organizations will say, okay, we have 80% of our organization is white, 20% BAME, which is just not a very scientific way of quantifying racial diversity. Mm -hmm. um, so we are always thinking, what are people currently doing to measure these common problems that we faced? Mm -hmm. They were either doing really poor things to measure them or not measuring them at all. Right. And then thinking from first principles, how do we think is a good way of measuring them? What's really interesting as you're telling me this story is you're in survival mode mm -hmm. and yet you're doing all this research. Now, <laughs> what's really hard, I think, is that when you are in that mode of like, oh my God, we're going to lose the company, to spend time doing research, just speaking to people, to understand things, to test the waters, I guess, is mm -hmm. really hard. How did you manage that mentally and with your team? Yeah, so it's such a good question. I think um, something that helped was when um, the pivot happened, we furloughed pretty much all of our staff. Wow. And that took away a lot of our day-to-day -day kind of like tasks mm -hmm. around management. So I ended up with a very, very free day, right. um, which let me just like concentrate and just think about the survey design, all the research that needed to be done. Um, and it was like a period of deep work. Um, right. You're completely right. It's strange that it happened during a moment of crisis, but mm. honestly, in the four slash five years I've been working on Flare, that was the moment where I had the most time to concentrate because I wasn't managing people. Um, yeah. yeah, so that helped a lot. I just, I, I completely admire you, I guess, because I know that when you're in a state of panic and you're worried that you're not making any money and you're feeling like everything's crashed overnight, to have that patience, mm -hmm. to have that like understanding that, okay, this isn't about the doing, this is about the researching. This is about the understanding. This is the slow pace, right? Because I think ultimately with any product or service that you're selling, the initial stages are really hard and grueling, but you just think, okay, I'm reaching to something and you have time. You don't have that pressure of having an organization or having any budget restraints. But actually when you've got a team and it's great that you use furlough because I think that's what it was there for to help companies like yours survive. Mm -hmm you know, it's still really difficult to think like, I've only got this amount of time because furlough was also capped, right? It was limited. It wasn't like an unlimited amount of time you were gonna have that your staff were gonna be furloughed. Mm -hmm. And at that, you were also giving them 80%. So there is still that pressure to feel like we need to get back on track. Yeah. But actually to take that time to research, to understand things, I think is really important. And I think it's really amazing that you just didn't rush to it to just think, yeah. let's just do this. We need to start making money now. It's really important to have that understanding phase. So. I love that. I love that you did that. No, I, I appreciate that. And I guess like just to add to that is that one of the things that we felt organizations were doing wrong was rushing their action plans and not doing the necessary research with their staff to work out where racial bias may lie. Mm -hmm. So we just felt that it would be hypocritical of us to rush into anything without doing right. the necessary research ourselves on our products as well. And yeah. um, so, yeah.
100%. So tell us a little bit about how you understand racial bias within an organization. Like, what are the key metrics? What are the things Flair me- like measures? And then yeah. how do you solve that problem? We feel that the biggest source of truth on whether racial bias exists in the organization is the actual people within the organization, mm-hmm. uh, because ultimately we're trying to measure the culture. And um, we're looking at people's views, their experiences, their characteristics. Um, and we've decided that a survey is the best way of gathering that data. Yeah. Um, completely anonymous. So it goes out to the whole organization. Um, they feel confident that it's confidential. Um, we do that through the communications that we provide. And it measures four main things. So racial awareness, which is mm-hmm. how confident do people feel in identifying and challenge racism that they see, which we do through situational judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we measure like racial inclusion barriers. So do people perceive their ethnicity to being a blocker to accessing different forms of inclusion? Um, the third being like racist behaviors. So how much is there a culture of like racist jokes, racial yeah. microaggressions? If so, who's it against? Is it the clients? Is it colleagues, managers? Um, we're in schools as well, so it might be like teachers, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and then final, race, finally, racially di- r- racial diversity. So what is the actual ethnic composition of the organization? And we've come up with like an index of measuring racial diversity. Um, so it's way more scientific than that whole like BAME versus white split. Um, and then we visualize everything like in a dashboard for the organization so they can see their performance on those four metrics mm-hmm. and provide kind of benchmarks as well within our client base. And then finally, um, we are building like an algorithm that ranks the racial bias and ties recommendations to the biggest areas of bias that we see. Um, so yeah, um, each recommendation is very like prescriptive, detailed action plan almost on what to do. I mean, I've seen your dashboard. You took me through it. I was very impressed by it. But when I was looking at that, all I was thinking was like, this is so technical. Like how on earth have you built this? You did economics, didn't you at work? Yeah, I, I, I did. Um, I think it comes back to what you were saying, like lean on your strengths. I know that I'm not a coder, so what was absolutely paramount for us was to find good developers um so we hired we hired and um i do sales that's my main my main focus and then i let the the developers build so talking around hiring the right people how did you find good developers because like again at what stage did you hire them because when you're starting a startup how do you have the funds to hire really good people at their job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my first um, developer that we found really helped us in this because we found someone really good. And when mm. you find good talent, it helps attract other good talent. And we, we kind of lucked out. So a company that I had interned at, um, I went and asked them, how do you build what we're trying to build? Because they built a fairly similar-ish product. Okay. And they basically said that their ex-lead developer was free and wanted to look for a new job, went to pitch to him, um, eventually convinced him to join, mm-hmm. um, was dependent on us getting some funding. And luckily, that company that I used to work for decided to invest in us. Um, wow. So yeah, that was our lucky break. And then from that moment onwards, it was just about leveraging 
his expertise um, as kind of a sense check on who we were trying to hire because he was good. He knew how to assess who else was good and that helped us attract talent. Um, when we pivoted, he, we parted ways with, with uh, Lee and we essentially were left with one developer who has, he was quite junior at the time and has had to since really grow into his role um, and has done f fantastically well. Um, however, we're now at a point where we're trying to hire tech talent again and we're finding it so, so difficult. Like the market is is a joke at the moment. Yeah, I've yeah. heard. It's really yeah. hard. But there's two things you touched on there. One was hiring the right people and how important that is in terms mm. of building your product or business. Mm. The other thing that's reminded me of another podcast I did with Iman was if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will be like, I have no idea. You know, I don't want, sorry. A lot of people will be like, I can't ask my old company or I don't want to ask this person because they're obviously just going to reject me. Like mm -hmm. my idea is not good enough. All that self-doubt, all of the, that imposter syndrome kicks in, right? When you have to ask someone for help. How did you overcome that? Um, I think um, when I was younger, I was very cautious. Over time, I became much more of a risk taker. Um and I don't know what that Genesis moment was. I think it was, if I was to guess, it was when I did my internship at GS and mm -hmm. they kind of just threw, like it was so intense and you had to take risk or you just weren't gonna make it. Right. And I think in my kind of adult life, I've always found myself as being someone who is willing to, to take a gamble almost. Mm -hmm. um, and I've realized that like, the returns to gambling are just so good that there's almost no point in not. Right. And I think once people have taken that initial dive, they too will realize that it's it's pretty much always worth taking a dive um, and backing yourself or you'll just not create the opportunities that um, people who are risk takers do create for themselves. A hundred percent. I think being risk averse, I always get this wrong, being risk averse means you're not risky, right? Exactly. Right, so being risk averse, I think is something that's taught to us in school, it's like always mm. be risk averse, like go to school, go to uni, get a job, make sure you have enough savings, like don't do anything that's too crazy, don't invest your money, don't invest in stocks because they could all go crashing down, you know, there's, don't start a business until, you know, you're earning like, I don't know, double the amount in something, you've got double the amount in savings. There's always these sayings. And whenever like my friends have wanted to leave their jobs, I've heard people say to them like, but have you, are you earning double your salary or are you earning your salary every month plus more? And it's like, mm. no, I'm like, of course not. You're never going to be in that stage. And mm -hmm. if you're always going to wait for that moment, you're going to be half, half in everything. You're never going to thrive in one thing. And so taking risk, I think, is so essential and so important. And I think the key part of actually being an entrepreneur and starting your own thing. Literally. What's the biggest advice you'd give to young entrepreneurs at the moment who want to start their own business or want to do something crazy? Mm, good question. Um, I would say don't be afraid to to start like mm. that is ultimately what it what it comes down to is like unless you take that initial leap you will never be put yourself in a position to learn um and that first bit of building a product is all about like customer validation 
and really putting yourself in front of your potential users. And if you're too afraid to do that, you just won't build. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's about trying to force yourself to be in a position where you can do that validation. For me, the easiest way was to surround myself in an entrepreneurship environment by attending a university. But that's that's not for everyone. Like some yeah. people, it might be, I don't know, to to get a job in the field that they are that they want to build a product in mm-hmm. um, and try learn that way. But you just need to get yourself closer and closer to that to a place where you can validate your idea. Um, and the key to that is to be in front of potential customers. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably one of one of my biggest. Um, the other is just about passion. Like, don't do anything you're not passionate about. This mm-hmm. stuff is too too hard to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 brutal. Building a business is brutal. It's fully worth mm-hmm. it if you're doing something you love. Yeah. If you're not, you might as well just stay in your in your day job. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I love what you're doing with Flair. I think it's amazing and I wish you the best of success. And I know you're going to be super, super, super successful. No, and I love it. Um, I just can't. I could never imagine building something like that because I'm like, how did you do that? I don't understand. Right. It's so complex. Um, yeah. But no, congratulations. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No, the pleasure is mine. Thank, thank you. you. Look, looking forward to it, to it coming out for sure. For sure.